Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture for this first Advent sermon comes from Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken, one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. It is 23 days, 12 hours, and 30 minutes until Christmas Day. Your shopping and wrapping and baking all has to be done. The countdown just started. But we know for sure when Jesus is coming, Christmas is less than 24 days away on your calendar. And so if it sneaks up on you, that's on you. The morning's reading is a familiar reading for the first Sunday of Advent. But it deals with a slightly different question. Not asking when does Jesus come. When is Jesus coming back? When, Matthew got, when Matthew's gospel was written, the promise of Jesus' return was so delayed that a lot of people had just given up. You remember, in anticipation of his crucifixion, Jesus told his followers that he was coming again. And so many people quit their job. They thought he's coming like sometime next week. Didn't buy a large jar of mayonnaise. I mean, he, he's coming. Then a decade passed, another decade passed. Matthew's writing to a group that's been tired of waiting, and he writes within that tension. He says, Jesus is coming right back, but God only knows when. To be sure, a lot of people today have given up on the return of Jesus, believing it was some kind of first century misunderstanding Dismiss it all as though it's just backdrops for books like the late great planet Earth or the Left Behind series. Just some first century misunderstanding. But others are completely consumed with the return of Jesus. 
Well, like the people who wrote those books, right? Algorithms and biblical dates and prophecies trying to calculate the return of Jesus. Clear convictions about who makes up the 144,000 of God's elect. Premillennial or postmillennial clarity about the final days. And preachers on the AM radio who have declared a sure understanding of scriptural discernment, and they know that Jesus is coming back just after lunch on July 22nd because the beast in Revelation is clearly China, and haven't you been reading the papers? Well, the writer of Matthew doesn't fall into either of those two camps. Instead, he, he stands firmly on the literal promise of Christ's return, but he doesn't have out the charts and the calculators. But about that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Rather than spending energy trying to calculate what Jesus and the angels don't even know, how about living in this present instead? Be ready now. And I love the irony of this. The way to be more fully in the present is to back off And see the long arc of what God is doing across history. Today's scripture is the 3,000 foot view of God's redemptive history. It gets us beyond our, our calendar and our Christmas list and our Amazon Prime. We start Advent by viewing God's big universal work. God's grand purpose reclaiming the world through love. And we start Advent with the reminder that Christmas Day represents the end of an old temple era, the beginning of a new order. We begin Advent talking about the second coming of Jesus because it's a reminder that God is not finished. Jesus will come again to reclaim this broken world. But the kingdom of God is at hand too. God is right now, three days beyond Thanksgiving, at work among us, repairing the world through love. Hopefully, we can get in on it. If we do, we find our purpose. But sadly, within the expansive work of God's love, there are some people who operate as though there is nothing bigger going on in the universe than trying to locate the official baby shark Plato set. People living small lives because their story isn't caught up in a bigger story. No day has sharp meaning because living is separated from purpose. That's what Jesus said, only he used different images. He told the crowd gathered that when God acted big in human history before, there were people just occupied with temporary things, things that don't endure. Remember, Jesus reminds them, Noah was building an ark. Noah was anticipating, prepared for God's mighty work in the world. Others were eating and drinking and going to weddings. The flood came and they weren't ready at all. Jesus says, be alert. Be alert, be aware of what God is doing and participate. Be present, be alive. I will come again, says Jesus. 
And some of you will be living with alert anticipation and others of you will just be planning next Tuesday's dinner and you've got nothing more substantial than that to live for. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. Two guys will be out working in the field. One of them is going to be working with promise and purpose and anticipation. He's going to know that he's a part of God's plan and storyline. The other guy will just be clueless about the ways of God. He'll just be gathering wheat. How sad. He's living for nothing bigger than wheat. And two will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal. One of those women is going to believe that she is a part of God's activity in the world. She's going to be shaped by the values and purposes of the gospel. She will love and give and understand her life as part of the narrative of God's work to reclaim a broken world. And the other woman will have nothing bigger to live for than the satisfaction of well-ground meal. What a way to live. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. So don't wait to your deathbed to ask ultimate questions. Ask them now. Live ready. Don't live in fear or dread either. This this isn't about fiery billboards that threaten the second coming. Alert and ready is actually the best way to live. If If we read these passages through the lens of fear, it doesn't lead to life abundant. But gratitude that we play a role in God's kingdom keeps us alert to ways to be included in the kingdom of God. God's love project reclaiming the world. Spring of my 10th grade year was my last year to play organized baseball after playing for most of my life. I mostly rode the bench that spring because I was playing second string, second base behind Mickey Boyer. Some of you longtime Atlantans will remember his dad, Cleet Boyer, played for the Braves. Y'all remember? Played for the Braves and several other major league teams. Well, if you saw Cleet Boyer play, then you might have guessed that his son Mickey was a better athlete than I was. And at some point I had to come face to face with the limits of my 110-pound athleticism and give it up. But I'd played baseball since I was about six. And, well, when I was just starting, about six, I would be out there with my glove hoping they did not hit the ball to me. If it did come in my direction, I would run toward it, wait till it stopped, pick it up, and then wait for somebody from the dugout or the stands to yell at me where to throw it, and then I would throw it in the way they told me to. But season after season, I learned more about how to play. Eventually, I could catch the ball before it stopped rolling. 
And I knew where to throw it without listening for my dad's voice in the bleachers. So by the time I was playing high school ball, I actually wanted the ball hit to me because I was ready. I'd been coached to be ready, and ready made me feel most alive. Before every pitch, I had a routine to prepare myself. I'd rehearse all the options about what would happen if the ball came to me. And then when the ball was about to be pitched, I would get in a wide, balanced, relaxed, athletic stance that my coaches called the ready position, right? And in my head, before the pitcher started the wind-up, I would start the rehearsal. Runner on first, nobody out. If it's a pop-up I can get to, I call the others out, off, I catch the ball, check the runner back to first. If it's a sharply hit ground ball, then I need to get the lead runner at second. But if it's a dribbler or takes me too far to my left, I need to make sure to get the sure out at first. The pitcher goes into his wind-up. I get relaxed, balanced, ready position. Strike two. I go through it all again, right? And most of the time, the play was not mine to make. But I had to be ready. And it created an eagerness so that eventually I wanted the ball hit to me. I wanted to be able to make a play I knew I was capable of making. And so being ready didn't lead to anxiety. Being ready led to freedom, being fully alive. I had a role to play on this team. And Jesus knows that living ready means living into the fullness of each day. In all occasions, being in the ready position because it's the best way to live. The ball might get hit to us. We might have an opportunity to play a role in God's project to reclaim the world. Be ready all of the time. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. So always be ready. And being ready doesn't just mean being alert. It means being prepared. If you knew a thief was coming to your house like tomorrow at midnight, you might prepare. You might take the jewelry over to your sister's house. You might put the Louisville slugger by the bed. You might turn all the lights on. Stay awake. Be prepared. And if you know that Jesus is coming, you might be prepared too. But that kind of preparation is a different kind of inventory of the valuables. Do I value things that endure? Is my inner life as healthy as my stock portfolio? Do I read more scripture and devotional literature than magazines? Do I know more about the life of the Apostle Paul or Matt Ryan or Kim Kardashian? Am I doing all that I can to live prepared and ready And do I have a rich enough prayer life to know when I'm being called to step up into the narrative of God? 
Or am I just living whip, wound, bang, ATM, let's go to Linux first, then we'll go to Phipps. I'll pay the $7 more for express shipping. Or does our life of devotion lead us to be prepared? I've mentioned this image before, but I love this image, so I might mention it today and then again sometime in the future. You might get it more than once. Barbara Brown Taylor referred to herself once as a detective of divinity. I just love that. Always looking for clues that God is at work in the world. Well, it takes preparation to be a detective. It means living in the ready position because you don't want to miss what God is up to. And you want to be able to get your own life in the stream of God's purpose and take that ride because you might find your purpose there too. So we start the season of Advent with the lens wide and our waiting begins. We wait on the birth of Jesus to happen in our lives again this year. But today's story instructs us on how to wait for the next coming of Jesus too. And we're told to live ready. Don't miss a thing. Be fully present, fully alive, fully awake. But this urging comes when we really don't have time. What a time to read this scripture about being ready, prayerful, and attentive. I mean, if if this scripture were read the first Sunday of February, we'd have time to sit in the windowsill and drink cocoa and reflect on God and meaning and purpose, the long arc of God's love. But right now we've got too much going on. Go back to the store. I'm out of tape. What do I need to cook before we go to your mother's? We need to find something for Carol this year. I've got to buy something for Carol this year. She bought something for me last year. I didn't have anything. I was so embarrassed. Stop at Kroger on the way home. I need two cans of cream of mushroom soup. We don't have time to be a detective, to look for clues of God's work. We don't have time to live alert. We don't have time to stop and bless other people with our lives. But Jesus says, therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. So be alert, ready position, the ball might come to you, you want to be ready to play if God's calling you into God's magic purpose. Let's stand and sing and respond. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.